Welcome to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. I'm your host, Roland Godette III, and with me today, as always, my wonderful wife, Summer Godette. On the Record of Our Forebears, we discuss the stories of some of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So grab a pen and some paper and get ready to learn something new. This episode is going to go a little bit different. Mm -hmm. We got a very, very exciting story to share with you guys about two, two pretty dope black folks. Oh, my goodness. And their incredible story of escape (sighs) from bondage. So have you ever watched a movie? (laughs) And and that movie was based on a true story. Mm -hmm. But you thought to yourself as you were watching... You said, this is crazy. There's no way the story is real. Mm-hmm. There's no way that mm-hmm. this story is real. And then you do some research. And, you know, by research, I mean, you know, a little you go Google. Google a little Google you know, research real quick. And you realize that despite <laughs> of the fantastic nature of the story, <laughs> that it was completely true. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to say, yes, I have. <laughs> All right. um, well, we're about to tell you a tale that's so fantastic. Yes. But it's completely true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. And it it is um, just, yes, I think fantastic. Um, just an amazing story. Mm. Um, having heard while in slavery that God made of one blood all nations of men and also that the American Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We could not understand by what right we were held as chattels. Therefore, we felt perfectly justified in undertaking the dangerous and exciting task of running a thousand miles in order to obtain those rights, which are so vividly set forth in the Declaration. These are the first words written in the record of one of the greatest escapes from slavery ever recorded. This is the story of Ellen and William Craft. Ellen Craft was born in 1826 in Clinton, Georgia. Her mother, Maria, was a mixed race enslaved woman, and her father was a wealthy enslaver named Major James Smith. Because of her parentage, Ellen's skin color was very light, and she bore a resemblance, a strong resemblance to her half-siblings, the legitimate children of her enslaver. Because of this, at the age of 11, Ellen was given as a gift, as a gift to Smith's daughter, so that the evidence of his infidelity will be removed from the household. Ellen Craft was taken to Macon, Georgia, where some of my family is from. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was taken there with her new enslaver, which was her own half-sister. William Craft recalls, My wife being of African extraction on her mother's side, she is almost white. In fact, she is so nearly so, that the tyrannical old lady to whom she first belonged became so annoyed at finding her frequently mistaken for a child of the family that she gave her when 11 years of age to a daughter as a wedding present. Mm -hmm. 
This separated my wife from her mother and also of several dear friends. But the incessant cruelty of her old mistress made the change of owners so desirable that she did not grumble much at this cruel separation. Now, William Kraft was born in 1824 in Macon, Georgia. Um, as with the vast majority of enslaved people, not much is known about his parents or life growing up. Now, what we do know is that he was sold at 16 years old. Um, uh, he saw his mother, his father, and then his sister separated and sold to different enslavers. He describes the scene of his sister being auctioned off in, in this way. My poor sister was sold first. She was knocked down to a planter who resided at some distance in the country. Then I was called upon the stand. While the auctioneer was crying the bids, I saw the man that had purchased my sister getting into her cart to take her to his home. I at once asked a slave friend who was standing near the platform to run and ask the gentleman if he would please wait till I was sold in order that I might have the opportunity of bidding her goodbye. He sent me word back that he had some distance to go and he could not wait. I then turned to the auctioneer, fell upon my knees and humbly prayed to him to let me just step down and bid my last sister farewell. But instead of granting me this request, he grasped me by my neck and in a commanding tone of voice and with a violent oath exclaimed, get up. You can do the wench no good. Therefore, there is no use in you seeing her. On rising, I saw the cart in which she sat moving slowly off, and as she clasped her hands with the grass that indicated despair and looked pitifully round towards me, I saw the large, silent tears trickling down her cheeks. She made a farewell bow and buried her face in her lap. This seemed more than I could bear. It appeared to swell my aching heart to its utmost. But before I could fairly recover, the poor girl was gone. Then he was sold off to a different enslaver. His family was broken up to settle his enslaver's gambling debt. <laughs> and after arriving at his new enslaver's plantation elsewhere in Macon, Georgia, he met Ellen, who lived um, on a nearby plantation. William's new enslaver apprenticed this teenager as a carpenter, as we uh, talked about before with other um, people we shared on this mm -hmm. podcast. And that allowed him to be hired out in town to do carpentry and to keep most of his earnings. So in night, excuse me, in 1846, Ellen and William were married. And at first they were unable to conceive ever mm -hmm. being able to be free from bondage. William wrote, we resolved to get the consent of our owners to be married, settle down in slavery, and endeavor to make ourselves as comfortable as possible under the system. But at the same time, ever to keep our dim eyes steadily fixed upon the glimmering hope of liberty and earnestly pray God mercifully to assist us to escape from our unjust thraldom. Because of the experience of being separated from their, uh, from their parents and siblings at the whim of their enslavers, the crafts decided that they did not want to have a family while they were enslaved. And because they wanted to start a family, they started planning their escape. Mm. Remember, William was working as a carpenter mm -hmm. and was allowed to keep most of his earnings. 
So he started stacking his chips. <laughs> so the crafts also took advantage of Ellen's complexion and had her pass as white while they traveled north. So since it wasn't customary for white women to travel alone with the male slave, they were going to dress her in men's clothing with William traveling as her slave. So William was able to discreetly buy pieces of men's clothing for Ellen to wear as a disguise. And he brought that clothing from different areas of town. Um, So she wrapped her handkerchief around her chin and tied it above her head. Um, painting this picture mentally in my mind. And um, she just tied it there in a knot as though she had a toothache Mm. to conceal her beardless face. And she limped, she put on a limp, she used a cane and she wore green eyeglasses to imply that she had poor eyesight that she couldn't see. And she also pretended to be hard of hearing to avoid conversations. So she would also carry her right arm and a sling um, so that she could have William ask someone else to sign her name for her since she could not write because she was enslaved, although she appeared, she was white um, appearing. Now, the last part of their plan was securing some time off before the holidays to buy time before their enslavers would notice that they were missing. Ellen's disguise, it just reinforced their reason for traveling north. This was a the sick planter and they were going to say that the sick planter needed to go to Philadelphia for his health and he needed his enslaved man to be with him to tend to his care. Right. And they also knew that slaves routinely traveled as personal servants mm-hmm. with their masters uh, going north. And so they didn't even expect to be questioned. Ellen told William I feel that God is on our side mm-hmm. and with his assistance, notwithstanding all the difficulties, we shall be able to succeed. So early in the morning on December 21st, 1848, the crafts commence on their perilous journey <laughs> as Mr. William Johnson and his enslaved man. William told Ellen, come, my dear, let us make a desperate leap for liberty. Mm. Ellen walked through the front door of the train station and brought tickets for herself and William to Savannah, Georgia. However, as they boarded the train, the craft saw a couple of people that they recognized and could possibly identify them. William saw the cabinet maker that he worked for step onto the train, look around, and then step off as he was look as if he was looking for someone. Ellen then recognized a friend of her enslavers, a man named Mr. Cray. And Mr. Cray had known her for years. Mm. And he actually sat down in a seat next to her. And so what Ellen did next was she went to what I like to call Academy Award mode (laughs) and pretended to be deaf. And as she put it later, it was her only means of self-defense. Mr. Cray believed the young planter, the quote, young planter sitting next to him to be (laughs) deaf. And so he left her alone for the entire trip. And after traveling to Savannah, after arriving in Savannah in the evening, they hopped onto a steamer or steamboat called the General Clinch, which was headed for Charleston, South Carolina. Wow. How good was Ellen's disguise? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So on December 22nd, this is the next day, 1848, her disguise was going to be tested again. 
She was invited, along with the other planters and slaves, to eat breakfast with the captain of the steamboat. Uh, The captain and a slave dealer, they warned this young gentleman, Ellen, of the dangers (laughs) of bringing enslaved people north since they could more easily escape to freedom. The slave dealer even tried to buy William from Ellen using the potential of William's escape or escape, possible escape north as a bargaining chip. But of course, she wasn't going to sell him. This was her husband, right? (laughs) Now, upon arriving to Charleston, they rested at a hotel in the evening um, and they waited until like the next evening when the steamboat would uh, leave for Philly. Now, they discovered that the last steamboat from Charleston to Philadelphia had departed. And so they weren't on board, but there was a really important reason why they weren't there. There was a fugitive slave discovered on board and um, that would have put them under even you know more scrutiny. Mm. So they switched up their plan. Um, they learned that there was another route north through Wilmington, North Carolina. The crafts reached Wilmington the next morning, and then the rest of their journey north consisted of various train rides and steamboat trips. They boarded a train to Richmond, Virginia, uh, and then another train from Richmond to Fredericksburg, Virginia, where we lived, you know, for a while. Um, Next, they took a a steamboat to Washington, D.C., and from the nation's capital, they boarded a train to Baltimore, Maryland, um, which was their last stop before freedom. Shout out to my Baltimore, Maryland uh, family. Yep. So in Baltimore, they ended up with a major problem. (laughs) So they're like right on the cusp of freedom. (sighs) And then they hit the snag. As they waited to board the last train to Philadelphia, an officer stopped William in the station and said, all masters had to go in. All masters had to go into the office to prove ownership of their enslaved person before they can travel north to Philadelphia. Mm. Upon hearing this news, William reflected, "We felt that our very existence was at stake, and that we must either sink or swim." Mm. The officer explained to a disguised Ellen, "If we should, if we should suffer any gentleman to take a slave pass here to Philadelphia." And should the gentleman with whom the slave might be traveling turn out not to be his rightful owner? And should the proper master come and prove that his slave escaped on our road? We shall have to pay for him. And therefore, we cannot let any slave pass here without receiving security to show and to satisfy us that it is all right. Without any way to prove their master-slave relationship, Ellen and William Craft were in a bind. With their train's departure quickly approaching, The conductor of the previous train walked in and confirmed to the officer that they had been on his train. The officer was still hesitant to let the crafts go. (laughs) And when the train's bell rang to signal its departure, the officer finally relented, saying, "I, I really don't know what to do. I calculate that it is all right. But as he, and he was speaking about Ellen here, but as he is not well, it's a pity to stop him here. We'll We'll let him go. And with that, Ellen and William boarded their final train to freedom. So the crafts, they arrived in Philadelphia on Christmas Day. What an amazing Christmas the, present. The best Christmas present. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, as William saw the lights of Philadelphia in the distance on that Christmas morning, he remembered and he quoted, I felt that the straps that bound the heavy burden to my back, they began to pop and the load rolled off. 
They headed straight to a boarding house run by an abolitionist so that Ellen could remove her disguise. And after hearing their incredible story, the abolitionist suggested that they continue on to Boston, where public opinion had become so much opposed to slavery and to kidnapping that it was almost impossible for anyone to take a fugitive slave out of that state. So after arresting for a while, uh, they did continue on to Boston where they settled in. And William worked as a carpenter. Ellen worked as a seamstress. And they spoke at anti-slavery meetings throughout New England where they relayed their incredible story of escaping enslavement. And they shared the stage with, you know, one of the fathers, you know, of abolition, American, mm-hmm. you know, abolitionists, uh, Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. And William Wells Brown. Um, and in 17, um, September 1850, their safety in the U.S. was severely threatened. So the Compromise of 1850, mm-hmm. one of the things it brought with it was the Fugitive Slave Act. Mm-hmm. And the Fugitive Slave Act required any citizen, whether they agree with slavery or not, to assist any slave catcher to capture a fugitive slave under under the threat of fine or jail time. So the act even applied in northern states where slavery had been outlawed. So Mm -hmm. a slave catcher could come from the south. They could just grab you off the street and say, hey, you need to help me find this escaped slave and you will have to help him Mm -hmm. or be fined or get some jail time. So on October 25th, 1850, a warrant was issued under the Fugitive Slave Act for the arrest of William and Ellen Craft. Soon after, two slave catchers from Macon, Willis Hughes and John Knight, arrived in Boston they planned to return the crafts to slavery on behalf of their masters. But Boston was firmly on the side of anti-slavery. Mm. The citizens posted placards across the city that announced the slave catcher's arrival <laughs> and provided a description of them. Crowds would form outside of the slave catcher's hotels and outside of the courthouse. And members of the Boston Vigilance Committee sought ways to baffle the pursuing bloodhounds and relieve the city of their hateful presence. <laughs> Some members, uh, led by a local pastor, met with Hughes and Knight and advised the two men to leave the city, but they refused. The Boston police even arrested Hughes and Knight a few times wow. and charged them with slander against William Craft and charged them for threatening, charged them with threatening to kidnap both William and Ellen. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm just imagining their wanted posters yeah. <laughs> plastered all across Boston. Um, now, as the time passed with those slave catchers continuing to look for the crafts um, and trying to capture them, they were moved from house to house in Boston by abolitionists to keep them safe. But despite their schemes to apprehend the crafts, the slave catchers, they didn't capture them. And they ended up giving up. They left the city um, in early November of that year. Mm -hmm. And for their own safety, the crafts just decided to leave Boston and um, move out of the country to England. So in recalling their time in Boston, William Craft, he wrote, we shall always cherish the deepest feelings of gratitude to the Vigilance Committee of Boston and also to our numerous friends for the very kind and noble manner in which they assisted us to preserve our liberties and to escape from Boston. 
Now in England, the crafts, they began their new life together and they had five children. So they were able to build that family um, that they had hoped for, just not in the United States. They continued to speak out against slavery and the fugitive slave law. The crafts occasionally joined their friend William Wills Brown at speaking engagements all across Great Britain. And in 1860, they published the narrative of their wild escape entitled Running a Thousand Miles for Freedom or The Escape of William and Ellen Craft from Slavery. So after living in England for almost 20 years, the Crafts decided to move back to the United States. William, Ellen and their family decided to settle in their home state of Georgia. After the Civil War, Mm -hmm. emancipation, Mm -hmm. they decided to go back home. And with the help of some friends, they founded the Woodville Cooperative Farm in 1873, and it was set up to educate and employ newly emancipated men and women. By the early 1880s, due to a lack of financial support as well as low cotton prices, the crafts could no longer afford the farm, and they moved to Charleston, South Carolina to live out the rest of their lives with their daughter and her family. Ellen Craft died in 1891, and William Craft died in 1900. Wow. That is wow. One, yeah, that story about the crafts mm-hmm. is one of the most incredible stories yes. that I've ever read. That I've ever heard of. Yeah. Like, just, I mean, this was my first time, I think, hearing about them a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think you were the one who brought it to me and you said, Summer, Not have you ever heard? Not believe this. <laughs> and, you know, for me, I mean, I love going to the movies. I love watching movies. And you know, I love me a good action movie. I love me a good spy movie. Like, you know, with with that one series where they pull the face off and it's like, oh, it's somebody else because it's a mask. And I'm like, oh, I thought that was someone else. But no, it's not. (laughs) We're fooled. You were someone else the whole time. This is like, you can't make this up. Unbelievable. The audacity. This word is being <laughs> beaten to the ground by us. The audacity. The audacity to just be like, you know what? <laughs> we, we out. And yes. we'll dress you up like a man and we gone. Yes. So if this is the game that they want to play, we'll play this game. But we know we're going to win because we know mm-hmm. that we know that this is totally wrong mm-hmm. for us to be enslaved like this. And, you know, they were willing to stay. They were willing to stay enslaved if they could just, you know, be together and and be comfortable. But they knew I mean, they saw their family separated Mm. and they knew that at any whim of any master, Mm -hmm. any enslaver, their family could just be separated. Mm -hmm. But one of the things Ellen said was that God was on their side Mm -hmm. and she knew that regardless of the difficulties, as long as God was on their side, Mm -hmm. they were going to succeed. Talk about a constant. Yeah. A reoccurring theme because this just seems like a movie. A constant is that these people knew that they were in the right Mm -hmm. because we have God. Mm -hmm. We're looking at the laws of the land and the laws of the land. Wait a minute. It may it would make sense to me (laughs) that our declaration is saying that. Wait a minute. All men are created equal. Mm -hmm. That we are born with certain rights. These given to us by the creator. Are you reading the same thing that I'm reading? Mm. Because if you if you are, you'd understand that we have a right. Mm -hmm. We have a right to live. Yep. 
And so I really feel like with Ellen, I've, I've never seen a picture of her, but if visitors to the plantation, if they were confusing Ellen with the slave master's children, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, this was a white person. And uh, I mean, at this point, what what can you say? Um, And so she had that not only knowing what what the the founding fathers of the country were saying, Mm -hmm. she also knew what it felt like for people to greet her and treat her as a human, Mm -hmm. not knowing that her her mother, you know, was mixed, was black. But she knew that as well. Oh, I know what that feels like. And I know that 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 was definitely um, right. So, I mean, just wow. And it, and and it's crazy because you know a lot of times we talk and just in talking to you, you know, outside of the podcast and even on the podcast, we talk about you know how people would sometimes they would have to leave family members behind. Mm-hmm. Husbands would have to leave wives. Wives would have to leave husbands. Mm-hmm. Mothers would have to leave children. Fathers would have to leave their children behind. But because of their unique situation, with Ellen looking the way that she did, they were able to escape together. Like they were able to say, you know what, we're going to stick together. And mm-hmm. if we're going to do this, we're going to do this together. Mm-hmm. Like, and if we get caught, we're going to get caught together. Mm-hmm. But if we make it, we're going to make it together. Mm-hmm. And they made it. And that goal of starting that family that they didn't want to start in slavery, mm-hmm. they were able to start it. And they had a pretty big family, five mm-hmm. kids, man, that's a good amount. So, But not only that, they came back. I would have just stayed in oh, in yeah. England. No, they came back. They, and they went back to, to the South. Man, I would have stayed and kept my tea time. Yep. But they came back. They said, we have to go back. Gotta I go. mean, we, gotta go we back have to go people. back and help. And just thinking about, again, we're going to, because it always goes back to him, thinking about um, those Christian principles of pulling others out of bondage mm-hmm. and making sure that they have the knowledge that they need. Um just amazing yeah incredible the crafts william and ellen get familiar incredible 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 story. people get to know them and we need this story we need this on, uh, on in a movie theater yeah. somewhere so if y'all know somebody <laughs> oh no anybody listening you know uh-huh. somebody in hollywood or something you got those type of connections <laughs> get them tell them to make the william, uh, william yes. and ellen craft story we wow need that movie. we do we so, really do thank you for joining us <laughs> And we hope that you will join us next time as we continue to learn more about our past and learn more about our forebears. Mm -hmm. Peace. Bye.